Welcome, everyone. You are listening to the LifePoint Christian Church Podcast. Let's get started. Hey, well, good morning, LifePoint family. So glad that you're joining us on what is the last Sunday of 2020. Thrilled to have you along with us this morning. Well, today is December 27th, right? December 27th. It is, because of leap year, if you can remember all the way back to February, it is the 362nd day of the year. And in a few short days from now, we will turn the calendar from 2020 to 2021. Can I get an amen from your living rooms or wherever you're watching, right? Amen to that. Now, I can't remember a year in which there's been so much collective eagerness for the start of a new year. Now, That's not to say that 2020 has been all bad. I mean, honestly, even as I look back on my own life this past year, while there have been challenges, there's been a lot of awesome things, some incredible things. I mean, even working from home as much as we've had, the amount of extra time that I've been able to spend and interact with my kids. Yes, challenges, but not all bad. However, it does seem that the vast majority of people are ready to leave 2020 in the rear view mirror. However, before we celebrate the start of a new year later this week, I want to pause for a moment this morning together and reflect on what has been the past 12 months or so. You know, at this point in the year, we'll often reflect on what has occurred over the last 12 months. And and it's common for magazines or newspapers or TV shows, even podcasts, to do a year-in-review article or episode. They'll make some kind of post looking back on what has been this past year. And you may do your own version of a year-in-review by writing a letter or even jotting a note on the back of a Christmas card, right? And, And it's less Letting everyone know what you or your family has been up to this past year. Now, I realize that not everyone writes a card or a letter, but, but even if you don't, I imagine that you could easily come up with a few things to include if you were to reflect on what has taken place in your own life in 2020. You know, earlier this month, I received a Christmas ornament that did a pretty good job of of putting 2020 together or with with a few uh, images or phrases. I believe you'll see a picture on the screen. Phrases like flatten the curve, home workout, curbside pickup, I survived the toilet paper shortage, right? The TP shortage, six feet apart, face masks, Zoom, stay at home, new normal, You know, I think it's safe to say that 2020 is certainly a year we won't soon forget. You know, similar to our year-in-review articles or, or letters, there are times in Scripture where we come across a passage in which people look back and remember what has taken place. And we find one such passage in Joshua 24. And I would encourage you to open up your Bibles there this morning or navigate there on your Bible app. And we're going to be digging into Joshua 24 together, and I would love for you to be able to follow along with us. But before we dive in, allow me to kind of set the stage, provide you with some context to what has been going on in this book leading up to chapter 24. 
Well, you see, we're actually going to start all the way back at the very, very end of Exodus. Just real quick, right? At the very end of Exodus, Moses was coming, his life on earth was coming to an end. However, before he died, he passes the baton of leadership to Joshua. And now it would be Joshua who's leading the Israelites. It would be Joshua's responsibility to lead the Israelites into the promised land, to conquer and divide this, this promised land that God had given to the Israelites. And so the book of Joshua then gives account of the Israelites' conquest to conquer this promised land, the land of Canaan, and, and how they divided up the land amongst the 12 tribes of Israel. If you've never read the book of Joshua, you really got to check it out. There are some epic stories in this book. I'd really encourage you to read it. Now, by the time the land had been uh, conquered and divided up, the Bible says that Joshua was old and well advanced in years. And as the book comes to a close, Joshua is nearing the end of his life. However, before he dies, he calls the Israelites together to remember all that God has done for them. He calls this entire nation together to look back and verses 2 through 13 provide us with this cursory overview, very brief overview of the history of the nation of Israel. In verses 2 through 4, Joshua remembers Abraham and his descendants. This would be looking back to the book of Genesis. And, and despite the fact that Abraham's wife, Sarah, was well beyond the childbearing years, God allowed them to give birth to a son whom they named Isaac. Now, at the time of Isaac's birth, Abraham was 100 years old and Sarah was in her 90s. Just a quick side note. Could you imagine being that age when you become a parent for the first time? Right? That's crazy. There are times right now where I don't feel like I have enough energy to keep up with my kids. I can't imagine what it must have been like for them. I don't know how they did it. Hopefully, Isaac was an easy child, right? He took it easy on them. But even if he didn't, I don't think that Abraham and Sarah cared all that much because they were so thrilled that God had given them a son of their own, a child of their own. You see, this child that they held in their arms was, was God's fulfilled promise to them. And God would continue to make good on his promise by providing Abraham with descendants as numerous as the stars in the night sky. Now, without telling the story of Joseph and God's faithfulness to him, Joshua jumps straight to Moses and Aaron in verses 5 through 7 of chapter 24. And after 400 years of slavery in Egypt, God sent Moses to free the Israelites from Egyptian captivity. And as part of this miraculous exodus from the land of Egypt, God parts the Red Sea so the Israelites can cross on dry land and the sea crashes over the Egyptian army when they try to follow. And so once again, God uh, comes through for the nation of Israel. He heard their cry and he rescued them from the oppression, centuries of oppression. Now, after a brief reference to the 40 years that they spent in the wilderness, that the Israelites spent in the wilderness, Joshua brings their minds to more recent history. 
And in verse 8 of chapter 24, he begins to remind the people of their many victories over the kings and the people living in the land of Canaan, this promised land that God was going to give them. However, it was really God who won the battles on behalf of of the Israelites. And this point is heavily emphasized in verses 11 through 13, so much so that I want to read these verses for us. It says, Then you, the Israelites, crossed the Jordan and came to Jericho. The, uh, the citizens of Jericho fought against you, as also did the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Canaanites, the Hittites, Girgashites, Hivites, and Jebusites. But I, God, gave them into your hands. I sent the hornet ahead of you, which drove them out before you, also the two Amorite kings. You did not do it with your own sword and bow. So I gave you a land on which you did not toil and cities you did not build. And you live in them and eat from vineyards and olive groves that you did not plant." You see, verses 2 through 13 show that God has been faithful to the Israelites, not only in the present, but in the distant past as well. When Joshua had gathered the people together back in verse 2, he starts this address to the people by saying, Long ago, your forefathers, long ago, your forefathers, meaning the Israelites gathered there before Joshua, didn't experience all of the events mentioned in chapter 24. In fact, some of them weren't even alive when those things took place. And yet, Joshua still references the experience of their forefathers as examples, as evidence of God's faithfulness. Now, I can't help but wonder if some of the Israelites there standing before Joshua were thinking, what do these stories have to do with us, right? You're talking about my great-great-grandpa or someone way back when that I haven't even met. These are just stories, right? So what do they have to do with my life right now? We weren't even around for that. But Joshua shared these experiences from long ago for a reason. He wanted to send a clear message to the people, to the Israelites standing before him in that moment. You see, he wanted them to know that God was working then, but that God continues to work now. He wanted them to understand that God was present and active in the past, and he is present and active right now. That God was faithful to his promises then, and he will continue to be faithful to his promises now. That God carried out his plan in the past, and he will continue to carry out his plan in the present and the future. You see, Joshua wants the Israelites to know that the same God who provided an heir to Abraham preserved the life of Joseph while living in a foreign land that brought their forefathers out of Egypt is the same God who went before them to defeat their enemies and clear the way for them to take possession of the promised land. It's the same God that they serve. Now, if, if Joshua 24 verses 2 through 13 was all we knew of the Israelites' history, 
it would be easy for us to assume that God's continual faithfulness to the Israelites must have resulted in a life on easy street, right? I mean, life must have been a piece of cake for the Israelites. Look at how God has been faithful time and time again. I mean, what challenges or hardships could they possibly have as they continue to encounter God's faithfulness as he demonstrates that to his people over and over and over? But what's important for us to understand, not just for them as, or even as we read this passage, but for us today, what's important for us to understand is that God's faithfulness doesn't equate to a trouble-free life. God's faithfulness doesn't equate to a trouble-free life. You see, in actuality, God is faithful despite our hardships. And with a better understanding of the Israelites' history, we see this to be true. You see, even within this period of history covered by Joshua, here in chapter 24, right, we we see some things. We need to understand some things that happen within this period of time where Joshua is calling out God's faithfulness. In this period of time, Joseph spent time in prison for something he didn't do. The Israelites spent 400 years in slavery, being brutally oppressed by the Egyptians. And then they spent the next 40 years, uh, challenging years, in the wilderness where many Israelites died. And while they did experience military victories as they entered the promised land, the Israelites weren't undefeated. You see, because of their sin, they lost a few battles as well. There were bumps in the road for the Israelites. And yet none of their ups or downs changed the fact that God has been compassionate and forgiving and loving and gracious and faithful to his people. One commentator writes, the high points of the saga presented here in chapter 24 attest to God's long, gracious, generous, and steadfast commitment to the Israelites through thick and thin. You see, even in the midst of hardship, God has proven his faithfulness time and time and time again. Now, after reminding all the, the people of, of all the ways that God has demonstrated his goodness and faithfulness to the Israelites, Joshua calls them to make a decision. He calls them to a decision point. And we see that in verses 14 and 15 of chapter 24. Joshua says this, Now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods your forefathers worshipped beyond the river in Egypt. And serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your forefathers served beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. See, we got to remember that years ago, the Israelites received the Ten Commandments, right? Back in Exodus 20, God had given these Ten Commandments to Moses, the first of which is. Perhaps you know, right, the first commandment that they were given is you shall not have any other gods before me. And so here, fast forward to Joshua 24, he's essentially asking the Israelites, will you obey the first commandment? 
Will you obey the first commandment? Will you serve or exclusively serve the one true God or the God of your forefathers? You see, Joshua has led the Israelites to a fork in the road. And now they must, must choose which direction they're going to go. Of course, it's impossible to go down both roads, and so a decision must be made. And it's an incredibly important decision because it will be life-altering for this nation, for this people, God's people. It will affect not only their present, but their future. It will dictate the course and outcome of their life. In light of God's faithfulness to the Israelites demonstrated over generations, Joshua tells them what they ought to do in verses 14 and 15, what we just read. He says, fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Rid yourself of any form of idolatry and serve God alone. He tells them what they ought to do. This is how you should respond to this decision. But the choice is theirs to make. They have to make a decision for themselves. Joshua can't make it for them. And just like the Israelites, you and I have the same decision to make. The same choice is put before us. Will we serve the Lord or will we serve something or someone else? Will we serve the God or idol of money, comfort, security, nationalism, notoriety, career, family, or will we serve the Lord alone? Will we allow something else besides Jesus to take the top spot in our lives? And as we contemplate and weigh our decision, I think we should follow the example of the Israelites and, and look back, right? To look back before we make this decision. Joshua was calling the Israelites to examine their history, essentially to trace God's faithfulness so that it might inform their present and future decisions. And I believe we should do the same thing. We should look back and see what God has done in our life and allow that to serve as the driving force behind our decision to follow and serve the Lord. We should look back on God's faithfulness and we, so that we can see that he is worthy of our sacrifice, worthy of all that we have to give. To help with this uh, process or exercise of looking back, I would encourage you to ask yourself a few questions. Even begin to contemplate them as I, as I say them out loud to you this morning. Ask yourself these questions. How has God proven himself to be gracious, compassionate, forgiving, and loving? How has he proven himself to be those things to you, to, to demonstrate his character to you? How have you experienced God's goodness and peace? When, he's, when has he provided for your needs? When has he given you victory? When has he protected you from harm? When has he given you blessings that are far more than what you deserve? 
You see, it's these types of questions that help us trace God's faithfulness in our lives. Now, as I call you to look back, right, think back, I know that we have this tendency to look back to recent history. Why? Well, because we remember it. It just happened, and it's just simply easier to recall those details, those moments. And so when you look back, it's possible that you might start by doing a review of 2020, this year that we're completing. And it's possible, even likely, that 2020 has been tough. And maybe it's felt like this never-ending string of, of difficulties and challenges. And you may be wondering, where is God in the midst of all of this? I don't see his faithfulness. I don't feel that I'm experiencing God's faithfulness. Where was he when I lost my job? Where was he as I'm struggling to make ends meet? Where was he when I lost someone that I love? Where has he been as our world has been flipped upside down by this pandemic? This year has been so difficult for so many. And I certainly don't want to minimize the challenges that we've had to face and endure throughout this year. As they say, the struggle is real. However, when it comes to the faithfulness of God and, and tracing the faithfulness of God, don't make the mistake of looking back just to 2020. Don't make the mistake of having a what have you done for me lately mentality. You see, we must track God's faithfulness over the entire course of our life, even prior generations, just like the Israelites did in Joshua 24. And if we do that, we will more clearly see how God demonstrates his faithfulness to us in the highs and also in the lows. You and I can't forget the same God who showed his faithfulness to the Israelites despite their hardship is the same God we serve today. Hebrews 13, 8 says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Recently, Grammy Award-winning artist and Christian rapper Lecrae posted on his social media account about his humble beginnings. And the picture that he posted showed this 750-foot square house that he grew up in. And due to the financial hardship of his family at that time, he said there were, there were times where they had to use the oven to heat the house. Of course, as a successful musical artist, those times have changed. And, and Lecrae is far removed from that small house that he grew up in, however, I love what he wrote in his post. He said, God was just as good then as he is now. And if you want to know what the future looks like, it's easy. It looks like God being as faithful as he's always been. You see, you and I, we ought, we ought to have a similar perspective as we consider whether or not we will serve the Lord. Unfortunately, though, there are times where we allow our present challenges, our, our present struggles to prevent us from seeing God's ongoing faithfulness. But I assure you, God is still faithful in 2020. Following his call for the Israelites to make a decision, 
Joshua made his own decision known. Assured of God's faithfulness, Joshua says in verse 15, but as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. This is probably the most well-known verse in the book of Joshua, and maybe you even have it as decoration hanging on your wall, right? Maybe this has become some kind of wall art in your home. Now, immediately following Joshua's declaration of commitment to serve the Lord, we find the Israelites' response to, to the decision that Joshua has put before them. In verse 16, the people respond, far be it from us to forsake the Lord and serve other gods. In other way, no way will we absolutely, or no way will we abandon God. The people acknowledge that God has been faithful to them throughout their history, which leads them to say, we too will serve the Lord because he is our God. Now, if you're familiar with the Israelites' history, you know they, they're, they're prone to mess things up, right? They're, they're prone to get things wrong. But in this instance, it appears that they've made the right decision. They've expressed their desire to serve the Lord, which is clearly the right answer. Now, the fact that the Israelites respond favorably is what makes Joshua's response to their decision a bit puzzling. You see, after expressing their desire to serve the Lord, Joshua says this, you are not able to serve the Lord. He is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your rebellion and your sins. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, he will turn and bring disaster on you and make an end of you after he has been good to you. Can you imagine what's going through the minds of the Israelites as they hear their leader, Joshua, respond to them in this way? Wow, Joshua, thank you for those kind and uplifting words. Your belief in us is overwhelming. Like, what kind of response is that from their leader? You know, honestly, this is a little bit how Pastor Chris talks to us in our staff meetings. So I kind of, no, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Uh, good thing this isn't being recorded. Um, <laughs> but here's the thing, right? I'm sure this is not the response that the Israelites were expecting. I mean, rather than affirming their decision, Joshua challenges it. He, he questions it. Now, to be clear, Joshua's not trying to dissuade them from serving the Lord. He's not trying to discourage them. Certainly, he wants them to serve the Lord. However, he also wants the people to be careful about making flippant promises or rushed decisions. You see, Joshua understands that this is a big decision, one that must be backed up with action, lip service, is not going to cut it. And so Joshua wants to ensure that the people count the cost of serving the Lord because serving the Lord will require sacrifice. And for those who break the promise, their covenant, there will be consequences. Now, as we said before, the decision facing the Israelites in Joshua 24 is a decision that you and I have to make as well. Will we serve the Lord or not? Will we serve the Lord exclusively or will we allow other things to take top priority in our lives? And my assumption is that we all know what our answer should be. 
Like the Israelites, our response ought to be, far be it from us to forsake the Lord to serve other gods. We too serve the Lord because he is our God. We know that we should echo the words of Joshua. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. But have we truly counted the cost of following Jesus? Do we know what we're getting ourselves into? You see, because we can all go to Hobby Lobby and find Joshua 24:15 on some kind of wall art and hang it up in our home. But are we prepared to back up those words with action? You see, failing to count the cost was not only Joshua's concern, but it was Jesus' concern as well. And in Luke chapter 9, verses 57 to 63, Luke records three brief conversations that Jesus has with potential followers. And all seem to express a desire to follow Jesus. But to each one, Jesus makes a comment that challenges their priorities. Jesus knew that these potential followers were not yet ready to make the necessary sacrifice to become a true follower. They were not ready to back up their words with actions. And of course, Jesus would have loved to count them among those who would be faithfully following him, who were were ready and willing to follow him. But first, they needed to understand that following Jesus would come at a cost, a cost that they had to be prepared to embrace. Now, unlike those in Luke chapter 9, the Israelites persist in their commitment to serve the Lord, even after Joshua challenges the sincerity of their decision. Joshua chapter 24, verse 21 says, But the people said to Joshua, No, we will serve the Lord. And after you and I have weighed the decision and counted the cost, my hope and prayer is that you would also say, As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I've adopted these words from verse 15, Joshua's declaration of commitment to serving the Lord, and and I've made them my own. It's my prayer for me and my wife and my kids that we will serve the Lord. You see, at the end of my life, I want to look back and say, by God's grace, we did it. To the best of our ability, we serve the Lord. That's what I want my legacy to be. That's what I want people to associate with our name. And my question for you is this, do you know what you want your legacy to be? And if you've never thought about that, I would encourage you to do so. Ask yourself, when my life comes to an end, how do I want to be remembered? And I hope that most of you would would set out to have a legacy of, of faithfully following Jesus. I hope that most of you would declare, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And while it's good to set our sights on creating that legacy, I know that the legacy that we want to create and leave tomorrow begins with the decisions we make today. Meaning I have to take intentional steps today to create that legacy down the road. And so if if you have a desire to to, uh, leave a legacy of serving the Lord, what steps are you taking today to make that a future reality? Are your daily actions and behaviors moving you toward that goal or moving you further away? 
You see, I want my family to serve the Lord. And if I want my family to serve the Lord, then I need to do everything I can to model what that life looks like. My kids need to see me spending time reading God's word and in prayer. They need to know that it's a priority for us to gather together with other believers and serve others. They need to see us using our time, talent, and treasure to expand God's kingdom here on earth. Of course, we don't always get it right. And none of us will. However, because of God's faithfulness, I am confident that the intentional steps we take today will produce the legacy we want to leave tomorrow. And so, as 2020 comes to a close, and as we look ahead to the new year and beyond, this question is still before us. Will you serve the Lord? And my hope is as you look back and see God's faithfulness, that it will drive you to say yes. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And by God's grace and faithfulness in our lives, we'll be able to take daily steps toward leaving a legacy of faithfully following Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are so good to us, even in the midst of challenge, even in the midst of heartbreak, God. You provide us with so much hope and peace and comfort, God. You provide us beyond what we can even uh, imagine, God, what we even deserve. And as we look back, God, I pray that it would drive us to respond to you by saying we will serve you and nothing else. God, we love you. We pray all this in your son's name. Amen. We hope you enjoyed today's message. You can learn more about us by visiting us online at lifepoint.org. If you are ever in the Sacramento area, we would love to see you in person. Events and service times can be found on our website. Thank you for listening, and we hope you join us for our next episode.